Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Crowdfunders, settle in, settle in and settle down, everybody. Do I have your attention? This is Successfully Funded. I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, CEO of the uh, agency Woodshed, or Woodshed Agency, if you want to go Google that right now. Uh, And I am the host of this podcast, and what do we do here? Uh, So if this is your first time listening, first off, thank you for getting here um, and checking us out. And what we do is we talk to project creators while they're in the middle of a campaign or right after a campaign is finished. So that way... We are giving you, the listener, the most up-to-date information about what they what they did that worked, what they should have done, and really get the information from a project creator uh, while they're in the middle of a campaign. Right? You know, there's no better time to kind of hear about you know what worked, and because these techniques and and things are changing so much, you know, it's there's a lot you can get lost in, and we try to give you the most up-to-date information. So, thank you everybody for joining us. So, what do we got going on today? Well. Today, we've got an excellent, excellent interview coming up. We're going to be talking to Allison Bueller uh, in just a little bit here. And what was exciting about talking to her was, one, an amazing project. Um, she's working on relatable chapter books, um, and it's a series for diverse uh, development readers. So she found a really a, a lack of diverse books for young boys and girls that are reading, um, that are learning to read. And I did not know that this was an issue until talking to her. And after you start talking to her, you realize, yeah, it is a big issue. So this campaign wasn't huge, um, but it's a great example of a Kickstarter that did well um, for exactly what it is. So they ended up raising a little over $25,000 with about 260 some odd backers. so again, great campaign, but when Alice and I talk, she did something that I have actually never seen in a campaign and something that I now am coaching all my clients on in terms of things to be doing to raise money. So that's going to be coming up in the interview here in just a little bit. All right, before we get to that interview, though, I just want to let you know a little, this is some tech stuff. This is actually the third time I'm recording this intro. We've had some tech glitches this morning and... This is the third time. So if I'm not as excited this time that to talk about it, it's because I've already done it like two or, you know, like I said, two other times. And hopefully this third one sticks. Otherwise, I'm gonna get very angry. Um, but yeah, I so I just got back from San Antonio. I was down there last week um, for a dad conference called uh, Dad 2.0. And if you are interested, I definitely recommend going and Googling this. Go Google Dad 2.0 right now. It's a amazing conference for uh, uh, for dads and fathers to 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 come and kind of hear stories, um, read about blogs that have been written. Um, the main sponsors for it was a uh, was Dove Men Care, and they have a great mission right now. They're trying to get um, paternity leave for men as a right. Um, it, it it truly isn't at this point. And I think I, I heard a stat like it's like one in five businesses even offer it. And even then, men typically don't take it because they're, uh, they're concerned about shame or they're concerned about losing a promotion or, or how it'll look on them, right? To, to be around their, their, their newborn. And, um, I was lucky enough, obviously with my own business to be able to stay at home. So this is something that really didn't affect me and I didn't think about it too much until, um, until I went to this conference. So 
Um, but also they had great speakers. Dax Shepard was there. He did an interview of um, his, his podcast live with, I think his name is Reese Darby, which was Murray from Flight of the Concords. And um, just a, just an all-around amazing three days of, of, of hanging out with dudes. And San Antonio was nice. It was intriguing to be there. I've never been there before. Um, I had a great time. If, if you're from San Antonio, a really nice city. Um, I love the fact that they had scooters everywhere, and, and I, not everything was built on cars and parking lots. So it was great. to. It was real easy to travel, real easy to walk. Food was good. So all in all, it was a great trip. And um, if you're interested, I mean, I definitely, like I said, you should go next year to Dad 2.0. I would love to be down there. Um, I had the chance to actually do a crowdfunding roundtable when I was there. Um, so it was great. Just a great time. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, I, I look forward to going next year. So go check that out. But I do want to say, I'm going to tell a little story here um, about some, I think, plane etiquette. And I think most people are going to have this etiquette. But on the way down... Um, yeah, I, I, I did not get a great seat and, um, I had the absolute last seat before the bathroom. Um, so lots of traffic. It's like a three and a half hour flight for me from Detroit here. And, um, lots of people in and out of that bathroom. A lot of people not realizing that you should shut the door afterwards. Like literally you got to shut the door. You got to kind of push it a little bit. So a lot of times the door is left open. And, um, and then I was sitting next to a lady, a heavier set lady. So, um, you know, our, our, our legs had to touch the whole time, which that's a whole nother thing. But she decided that she was going to hot box that plane, like nobody's business. Um, and I mean it, she tore, uh, she was just letting those toots go like nobody's business. And it was, it, it, it was not, it was not great. It was not great at all to sit next to that. Um, a lot of whiffs, a lot of, you know, just trying to keep my head in my iPad and just fight through it. But then she got up to go to the bathroom and she went in there and she destroyed it. She just blew up this bathroom like nobody's business. You can't do that on a plane, right? It's just like RVs, right? You can't do that there. You, you, yeah, you got it. That's before you launch or after you launch, right? You got to hold it for those three and a half hours. But she comes out of this room, man, and this, I, I mean, hurling in, in my seat just, you know, just couldn't. It was unbelievably bad, and and there's no words to describe that 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 moment because it was. And I know the people around me were just, we were all in the same boat. We were all fighting that battle, but um, it was. Whew, you can't do that on a plane, right? Everybody knows that. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to do, use my podcast platform as a, as a, uh, uh, as an education uh, process here. But uh, um, yeah, just don't do that. Don't do that on the plane. It's not. You shouldn't do it. Flat out. That simple. All right. I think. I think that's enough, right? I probably ruined everybody's either appetite or day, or they didn't really want to hear about this uh, lady hotboxing next to me. Um, all right. So. I got some things that I need you guys to do. If you are enjoying the podcast and you are a regular listener, first off, thank you. But second of all, make sure you're a subscriber. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're a subscriber. And then also leave us a review. Reviews are awesome. They, they you know, they might make somebody else tune in. Um, if you are thinking about running a campaign and that's how you got here, uh, before you launch that campaign, let's set up and at least have a nice conversation. Let me give you some tidbits or some advice on, on things to look for. Uh, go to woodshed.agency, which is our website. You can go to the consultation uh, tab and sign up. My calendar is on there. And I'd love, to t I'd love to learn what you're working on and just, again, throw out any sort of uh, tips or advice that I might have um, before you hit that launch button. But, uh, okay, I think that's all, I, the, all the time I have right now. Let's go ahead and kick into my conversation uh, with Allison. 
And we're going to talk about some books. And again, make sure you keep your ears perked because we are going to talk about an amazing strategy that everybody should be doing for their Kickstarter campaign. All right, here's my conversation with Allison. All right, Allison, the red light's on, so it is pressure time. Hopefully, you're uh, comfortable with the red light there for recording. That's fine. All right, awesome. Well, let's start with a quick sound check. Um, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? A green smoothie and I don't know something else. Uh, sausage. Okay. All right. All right. A uh, lot. Uh, you do a lot of smoothies. Big smoothie. Uh, it's my daily requirement for my kids. It's why they hate me. <laughs> okay. All right. Currently. No. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Um, oh, and that, like now, do you have all kinds of different flavors and stuff for the smoothies? Or it's it... pretty much the same every day. It's just okay. getting everything they need in there. All right. Cool. Get all, all the all the uh, the bananas and the strawberries, making sure that they get it all. Right. Yeah, the kale is the part they're not crazy about, but Ugh, yeah, yeah or the spinach. Yeah, but the, but yeah, I, I I think they taste good. But you yeah, know. I'm sure they do. I mean, smoothies are good. So kids have to complain about something. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you raised money over on Kickstarter for. I mean, you, you have a campaign that's finished, uh, which is a little bit different on this, uh, on this episode, but what did you raise money for uh, on the platform? We did a project called Where Are the Books That Look Like Me? And this is a project. I'm a writer and I was also a teacher though. And I taught in Jackson, Mississippi and all of my children, well, 95% of them were African-American. And so there's a really important thing that happens with readers. They move from being read to, to being independent readers. And the way they do that is through these little chapter books. And you have kids, so you probably know, Junie B. Jones, Magic Treehouse, Captain Underpants, and they read these and read these and become fluent. So their vocabulary increases, their fluency, which is their ability to read smoothly and clearly increases, and they become independent readers. Well, there were no books that looked like my students in that genre. And so I didn't presume I could write that book, but I had a good friend from college who is funnier than I am and really smart. And she's an African-American woman who had two boys. And I said, would you be interested in writing this with your voice? I'll do the story. You do the voice and the characters. Mm -hmm. And she said, yes. And so we created this uh, series called the Big Monty series. And book one is Big Monty and the Lunatic Lunch Lady. And then we wrote the next three. And we are just going after little boys, little boys that need to have a character that they can relate to, that looks like them, that will increase their fluency, their vocabulary, and their, and their literacy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we, uh, I believe that's every night we, are, we, we have a new book that comes home. I have a kindergartner and a, a second grader, so we are... Mm-hmm. You're right in that right. Yeah, we're right in it. Um, but, uh, you know, and our biggest battle is actually just uh, making them actually do it because they just, yeah. they, I don't know why they fight it. It's just, you know, you got to do this, man. You got to read. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, I mean, so it sounds like you have this awesome story as to how this idea started. But, um, you know, what starts to be like the first steps out of the gate? I mean, obviously, you kind of started to put the plan together. But then right. what starts to happen in terms of putting the project really from an idea to on paper? We, uh, we co-wrote it in a weekend at a writer's retreat. And so that was not a problem. That was probably the most fun book I've ever written in my life. And we laughed and laughed and trying to think like a little first grade or second grade boy is pretty fun. <laughs> and especially since we both had boys. So that was easy writing it and, and it was good. And I knew it was good. So I started sending it out to publishers, traditional publishers, and they kept saying the same thing. There's no market for this. 
there's no market for this. And I thought, well, maybe there's no market because there are no books like this. <laughs> right. So we have a chicken and egg problem. And the other thing that was troublesome was that they wanted us to change some things. They wanted, they liked the voice of the character, Merlin, his name's Merlin and he hates his name and he wants everyone to call him by his nickname, Big Monty, but it won't catch on. And they loved him, but they wanted us to make this a serious book. And what we did when we asked boys, uh, African-American boys, what's your favorite book? They would say Star Wars or Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Mm-hmm. We would say, who's your favorite character? And they would draw a blank. They didn't, that, no, the character that looks like you. Right. And they, they, didn't, they didn't have an answer for that. And we didn't want a serious book. There are plenty, some of them would say, oh, I like books about Martin Luther King Jr. Or that's not a, that's not a chapter book that you're going to read and reread. Right, right. And so we wanted you know, humor. And we weren't willing to make some of the concessions that the traditional publishers wanted us to make because... We knew with boys, that's not what they were looking for. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So now, now, is there artwork in this at all? Yeah. So like, what is that process starts to happen where you start putting this all together? Well, that's where it got expensive. So I, um, I've traditionally published books with publishers. I've done a couple of independent books, but I'm not an artist and neither is my co-author, Lenora Wynn. She is um, brilliant, but not, we're not artistic. <laughs> so we had to find a, a person that we felt comfortable with to bring the story to life. And so we found Chris Miller, who is an independent cartoonist to do that. But that's when we realized, Oh, you can publish a book independently pretty effectively now, but not with illustrations. And then the other thing was we didn't just want to get it out there published. We wanted to get it into schools. And so that's where they, we decided, you know what, we're going to need to raise some significant money to do that. And, and what about that? Uh, you know, I, I've worked on a couple projects that, you know, trying to get into schools was uh, just borderline nightmare. How, how do you start working those angles and, and, and getting this something to where it's approved by teachers or how, what, what's the process of, of thinking about this being in schools at some point? Uh, we just went school by school, teacher by teacher and, and parents really, you know, parents, a lot of the people who sponsored the Kickstarter campaign were parents and they said, I want this in my school. I want this in my kid's class. So they would sponsor a classroom or a book. We didn't really have any problem with approval. I mean, I think people are just so hungry. They know, I mean, they know this is a huge hole in the literature and gosh, if you can solve it, I, no questions asked. Sure. Sure. So so where in the sort of the arc of this does thinking about Kickstarter come in? I obviously you mentioned that you knew that you needed to raise funds, but where was the idea of like, okay, we'll, we'll go to this platform instead of just, right. just literally asking parents or whatever it might've been or, or whatever it might be. Like what, what was the steps to like, all right, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this on Kickstarter. Well, I run a nonprofit organization as part of my career and so I had done fundraising through the nonprofit and our goal with Kickstarter was twofold. One, we thought it might reach people that we didn't already know that weren't just in our circle of influence already. And two, we wanted to use it as a, a campaign for awareness of the issue. Most people don't re- realize, like if you can find books for your kid, mm-hmm. it's not, you don't realize, you know, it's not your problem. And so it, it's not on your radar. And so we wanted to show the issue. And I thought we had a broader platform with Kickstarter. As far as fundraising, um, we hoped that we could reach an audience that wasn't already ours. I could have done it through our nonprofit. And we debated back and forth about which way to go with that. And there are pros and cons with both. But, but our, our bigger picture was trying to get awareness of the issue out there. Right, right. And what outside of, I mean, it seems like this is, this could be a gigantic issue that could be talked about all the time. What were some of the steps to sort of get that message out there um, before you launched the campaign? 
Well, before we launched, we started doing a couple of just emails to people that we knew. And we did a, a couple little things on Facebook and we did an interview with each other that we shared and just asking people, what are the chapter books that your kids are reading? Go to your bookstore and look and see if you can find one that looks like, you know, 50% of the kids in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So, you know, asking that question and then people would say, oh my gosh, you know, I never, I never realized, no, there are none. In, now there are some picture books and there are some, you know, young adult books, but that chapter book where they become independent readers, that is a pretty big blank. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And is this something that, um, you know, as you were going, like, what were you sort of looking at in terms of numbers wise um, to, to produce a book like this and quantities? And what were some of the internal conversations you're having? Maybe for somebody else thinking about launching a book product, like, mm-hmm. what were you looking at? Like, all right, we don't want to have the goal too high. We don't want to have the goal too low. What, yes. what were some of those conversations like? I wanted to be able to, I, I had the number of thousand books in Mississippi schools that, and so I had to backtrack from that. And then I also thought, I don't want it to be too too high. I don't want 2000 books right now. I want a thousand to get the message started. And hopefully each book will pay for the next. We've written three, we could write 10. Um, but I also didn't want it too low. I thought if people can't see the importance of this and they can't make it happen, then it's not time to happen. I've done a lot of where I pulled my own weight on projects and made them happen and forced (laughs) them to happen. And I think, I think I've learned my lesson on that some days. Um, I really wanted people to either believe in it or not. And so we picked a goal that was, that really was what the cost was, you know, we're not making our time is donated, but to produce with the pictures, to produce a thousand, to get a speaker into the schools that were at a higher level, this is what it costs. Right. That's cool. And how did you sort of put together, you know, um, you know, like a reward structure system for this book, like, like without you know, becoming like a merch store or something like, oh, we'll just do a bunch right. of t-shirts or whatever. You know. right. How did you start putting together the rewards and the ideas behind, uh, you know, what, what people would be interested in purchasing to support mm-hmm. this? Well, ours was mission driven. And so we knew that we knew, we hoped that some people would just want to buy it for their kids, but um, we, we really were counting on people that wanted to do this because they believed in the mission of it and getting it into schools and into the hands of kids and increasing literacy and therefore decreasing the achievement gap. That was our overall message. And so we did one level and I regret it now. It's my only, my big regret of the campaign. And it's not that big because not that many people signed up for it, but where you actually got a thing. So we just tied it to the book. You, you get the book, you get an audio book, you get a, a coloring book, you get you know, a lesson plan to go with the book. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to do a whole lot of, like you say, t-shirts and merch and stickers. It's just, that's a waste of money and it, and it didn't flow with our mission. We did one level where it was like pajamas with the characters and the book for bedtime. And I'm like, oh, now why did I do that? <laughs> because that most people in our campaign didn't even choose a reward. Not most, maybe half. They wow. just backed it. Yeah. That's great. That, I mean, that tells you that you have a, a powerful mission there because usually every campaign I run, it is always yeah. tied into they want the stuff, <laughs> the stuff right. and, the, and the cheapest price. So that's right. two factors. Right. And that's why it's a little, you know, it's a, but, but it was some, it was a whole, like when I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and mm-hmm. on how to do these things. And there is a, a, a place for projects for, for, for mission projects. And it's, I think you have to look at it a little bit differently than you do for, for technology or yep, yep. yeah any any of the widgets uh and, and i think you're seeing 
there's a, uh, a a lot of energy on Kickstarter's platform right now for comic books, documentaries, um, and I think it's because, well, this is my my take on it from doing this every single day. But I think Kickstarter is starting to realize that they're becoming the as seen on TV, right? Or, right. or like the, the sharper image at the mall, where it's just like, oh, right. here's this new tech widget from Hong Kong that you can sleep with. I don't know, whatever you know, whatever right. it is, you wear this mask and. You know, and, and really that's, that wasn't Kickstarter's model from the beginning. Like I got started in music projects. So mm-hmm. everything was around smaller, smaller uh, uh, goal amounts, but you were still getting these really good ideas off the ground and get kickstarting them to something bigger at some point. Um, right. So, I mean, so for an idea like this, I mean, how do you sort of uh, yourself and you have, you had, uh, how many people were working on it? Was it just you and, and, and the other person you said there? My co-author was working full time. So we, one of the important things that we did was we pulled in a team of people that were just passionate about that. So I had a lady, a friend of mine who's a graphic designer and she just loved the idea. And so she yeah. did some of the graphics. Uh, I had a friend who was going to go around and present in the schools, an African-American woman, cause I'm not going to go tell that story. Right. Right. Uh, I wouldn't presume to do that. Mm-hmm. And, she was, you know, part of her contract was to go out and take some of the money and present this in schools. And so naturally she was fired up to promote this thing and make it go. And she did. And then we, by default, you know, uh, the minority Alliance, business Alliance in town heard about it and they got very excited about it and they jumped on and they promoted it. And so they kind of, we kind of formed a team around it. And I really, gosh, the more people you can have promoting something, it just helps. You're reaching all of their pockets of people and not just yours yeah so so is that something because we find a lot of project creators get hung up on this and thinking that they should do it all themselves so Mm -hmm. i mean was it something in that you guys just felt like no we knew we had to have a team around this and then what were some of the things you were looking for when you're bringing in these team members like is it just believing in the cause number one or is it still like well you still got to still be kind of good at x y and z because we want to present this in the right way like how how did you sort of walk that uh that tightrope We initially, you know, I knew I needed some graphic help. And so I looked for somebody who was passionate about it that would do that. Um, I knew I needed an educator's help. And, and then, so I looked for someone that would do that. But then as people became passionate about it, I didn't much worry about that. But what was interesting is sometimes, sometimes we would get a big backer from, for someone who just loved that person. So Mm -hmm. the woman who was going to educate in the schools, once they found out they backed because it was her, not Mm -hmm. because of it was me or my project. Right, right. So I think you need to be pretty open. If somebody wants to help you, take their help. Plug them in in some way, form or fashion. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it always, I, I'm one of those people. I, I Listen, if you want to help, jump on yeah. in. <laughs> no, I, I'm really not worried about your criteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd much rather not do everything. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's great. Um, so what does sort of, you know, as you're running this campaign and as you're kind of getting going, what starts to become some of the the things that you're worrying about or what's keeping you up at night as the campaign's getting closer? What, what, what's, what's on your guys' mind is like, all right, we know that we need these things to be successful. Right. We did a really good job of doing the whole pre-launch thing that we'd heard about. We had our people lined up from our family and our close people to, to donate on or back, I guess you'd say mm-hmm. on, um, on day one. And, mm-hmm. you know, we followed the formulas that you guys put out there and that you do the education about and it, and it does work. I think for ours, we didn't have any advertising money and we didn't want to put any in there. And so we had to get really creative. And the thing that we did was this matching sponsor. So every day of the campaign, I found a local business person and I would announce them on Facebook in the morning and say, uh, 
Barbara Coates Financial is invest is matching for 250 today. And mm -hmm. then I would go later in the day and Facebook Live with her and I would say, tell us about your business and tell us why you're interested in this project. And so at eight o'clock that night, if we'd raised 250, she would dump that in. And so we reached all of her people that way. Mm -hmm. And we also let our people know that here's a person in town that you might want to support because they're supporting good things. So it was kind of a win-win. That was our big strategy that worked. And we had a matching sponsor almost every day of the campaign. So yeah. the thing I worried awesome. about, you know, I worried about every day, like, are we going to meet the match? Are we going to right. meet the match? And right. People followed it and, you know, at 7.35, somebody would dump in enough that we would leave the match. That's, that's so great. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to reach out. Not only does it seem like a good project, but that's one of the most creative strategies I've actually ever heard. So much so that we're implementing it on, a, I've got a documentary project that's an amazing father-daughter story. It just touches a gazillion heartstrings. It needs to be told, but you know, I, do I, I, we're not going to spend $50,000 on Facebook ads. So, you know, what are we going to do to be crafty? And I was like, this is, this is an amazing thing because she does have an audience. She does have these things. There's a great mission behind it. Everybody should want to attach themselves to it. If you know, theoretically. Um, mm -hmm. so it's just, it, it was a really, really solid strategy. Um, and I, I just think it's really, really creative and one of the best things I've heard actually so far. So, uh, very, very big kudos to you, uh, uh you. on that side. Yeah. It's, it's I, awesome. I feel after listening to hundreds of hours of you guys talking about how to do this, I feel good. I contributed. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you definitely did. It, um, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who, I, I mean, I try to be on the cutting edge of all this stuff. And that's the first time I heard that. I was like, that makes so much sense. So how, let's break that down this a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. how, you know, how, how do you start to reach out to people? Because a lot of people get really nervous though about fundraising. I know I've worked with a lot of companies who uh, are sort of borderline nonprofit and a lot of nonprofits are like, that's cool, but I don't want to be tied into your fundraising. I had a big thing with PBS one time blow up on me. Um, and you start realizing that it's a tiptoe a little bit around that. So how do you start to, uh, walk around and just present this in a way that that a, a business or whatever it might be is just like wow this is interesting I, I, I'll participate. I, I the best thing I heard was a, a interview with Ian Anderson. You're probably familiar with him. Mm -hmm. in the, in the, he, he says just stick with your story. Tell share your story. Share your yeah. story. And I I felt very much more comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like sales. I don't like to ask people for money. But right. I am passionate about this project, and I can. I can share that all day long. Yeah. And so I think when you, when you share your passion, why, you know, why did your father and daughter, why is that story so important? Why does it need to be told? And you just tell that over and over and you tell it to your blue in the face yeah. and you can't believe anybody in your community hasn't heard you talk about it. And then you keep telling it more. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd see people in town and they'd say, Oh gosh, there you are. I forgot. I meant to, I meant to back that thing. Let me go. Right. Uh, let me go. They need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. You know, my, I'll think I want to support something. And my kids will come in and then I lose track. People don't mind being reminded. Yeah. If you're not, if you believe in either your product or your story mm -hmm. or your mission, I mean, they, you have to believe in that. If you're just, I don't know how people could just sell like a, sell something. I, I, I could <laughs> Yeah. I it, it can be challenging. There's no doubt of it. Cause there it's, it's a, uh, I mean, I do crowdfunding all day, you know, and sometimes the harsh truth is we get some projects where it's just like, nobody wants this thing. Nobody wants, yeah. I, 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 you know, as much as you might, I get it. You worked on it for 10 years, but man, the world doesn't want this thing. And then you get some where it's just, it just goes gangbusters. And it started to kind of humble us a little bit as to, um, you know, how important it is to literally just have a great 
a great story and a great product. It, you know, right. if you have that, that's like 90% of the battle. Then you can have a marketing guy do some cool little techniques and stuff, but you right. got to have a good story. You really do. And, and that's really at the core of it. And if it's, I got a brand new fidget spinner, what, what, <laughs> you yeah. know, we're, we're, yeah. we're done. Um, right. That's cool. So what and does a problem? I think uh, we had a, just a little, a student do our video. I mean, we had no high tech video. He was, <laughs> he's just a kid that works at my camps in the summer and I really like him. <laughs> It's such a good job capturing, you know, we would ask the kids the question I said at the beginning, mm -hmm. what are your favorite books? Who's your favorite character that looks like you? Yeah. And then silence. And just capturing that, that's that story, that why, why is this important? And to yeah. show it in a quick way, you can't argue with that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So what does like the next year look like? I mean, you've got the funds, the campaign was successful, you know, you, obviously that's a win, but now what starts, what's happening behind the scenes to get the books into schools and just what, how are you delivering everything? We're wait, we have the audio book done. That was, we paid for out of the campaign. We have the coloring book done. That was the first 10 images. We're waiting on the rest of the images for the book and it should be out mid-March. And then our educator that's going to go around some of the backers, back at a level where you've got a presentation and 30 books for your school and the lesson plan. And so she'll start going in April and May to schools. And our hope is that once this thing goes on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and everywhere else, that will make enough money to fund book two mm. and then book three. And so, um, or we may have to go back to. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, is that, is that something though that you envision of like sort of always using Kickstarter to kind of literally kickstart it, whatever, whatever it is, even if it's lower dollar amounts, just to get that sort of marketing out there, or do you see it just going more traditional moving forward? I think more traditional for this in, in reality, we were chosen as a project we love on day two. And we thought, Oh my gosh, you know, we've heard about this. This is the dream. It didn't help us much. I mean, 90% of our backers came from some contact we had or one of our business sponsors had. Mm -hmm. That could have been done locally. Right, and, right. Uh, but, but it was a good learning process. And it was, uh, I, I think a, a lot of people saw that campaign and maybe they didn't back it, but maybe they are now aware of that issue. Well, you, you might have ran into, and we described this a lot too, of there's just a lot of people that just don't back on Kickstarter. They just don't do it. They just, right. they, they don't think of it. So, you know, so that you still might've got, in their brain, right? They're right. thinking about you and they're just sitting in the background and waiting for it to, oh, it's on Amazon now. I, I buy yeah. from there. I, I know that how that works. So that's definitely a huge thing. I mean, we see it all the time, which is why we always typically run post-campaign funding right mm -hmm. afterwards where it just looks like it's e-commerce now and people are like, oh yeah, I, I backed that thing. Right. So, oh, okay, cool. It's just, you know, basically the same process, same PayPal, same Stripe, same credit card, but whatever. You just didn't want to put it in this thing, you know, so, um, so that's a part of it. So what, you know, so that's the next year. Um, what does like the next like five years look like for you? I mean, how do you, where do you see this thing sort of going? What's the big ideas? What's the big dreams? The big dream is that you have 10 to 12 of these in a series that can sit on a kid's bookshelf or a teacher's bookshelf. And that this is just as normal as Captain Underpants or Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And we'd like to go up the river. I'm in Mississippi. My author is from a Mississippi, but she now lives in near St. Louis. And so we want to go Mississippi, you know, New Orleans, Mississippi, Memphis, St. Louis, Chicago, Detroit. That is our goal. That's great. That's awesome. And what, and just to kind of, I mean, how do you guys start to plan and make this stuff happen a little bit in your mind? I mean, what, you know, do you, are you laying some of that groundwork for right for, for what you're talking about? Or is it something that you're just like, ah, we'll get to that, you know? 
both. I mean, I have a lot of other irons in the fire as well, but I'm used to, I've written books. And so I know how do you, what is the process of getting those out? And for us, we're really addressing schools. We're, we're just going through the schools and I, there's not a school that library and that will tell you, oh yeah, I got too many of those kind of books. It's not true. So that every school librarian is looking for what we are producing. And it's, we know it's quality. We know it's quality because we got the responses from the traditional publishers. It just wasn't what they were looking for, for marketing. Right, right. And so we have to market that. And, and it's not very hard to market this because it fills a hole. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, you're right. So this may be a silly question because I just don't quite know the inner workings. But is this something that at some point could be in every school without having to go teacher by teacher per se, but like it becomes like a, a require, like, Hey, every elementary school has to have these things. Is, is that a possibility at all in something like this? You could go through scholastic, um, you know, if you, if you got enough traction, it, but you know, it's, there's a publishing is a, it's a funny business. Yeah. And I know you know this in the music you yeah. know, side of things, but that's the reason there are indie musicians and there are some great indie musicians and thank God they didn't give up and say, well, I didn't get a big record label. Right. It's, it's, it's apples and oranges. It just depends on what they're looking for. And so it, we could hopefully show, we're going to have to show from the bottom up that yes, people do want this, that this is wanted. But at the moment, I don't think they see that people will buy it. Interesting. <laughs> like, um, how does it work with the, the book fairs? And this is this, you know, so like we have a book fair that shows Scholastic. up at my. Scholastic is the giant. That's the one. That's where they come yeah. from, and that and that's the one that picks the books. Because yeah. I don't know what we buy. We buy them every whatever it is, every three months. Yeah. I guess they maybe. Yeah, and we'll reach out. We will definitely reach out to them. Yeah. But uh, I, I just there are other ways to do it. You sure. Know? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just wondering actually for my own self because I never really thought about. Yeah. why these are the books in our, you know, and I live in a very diverse, I live outside of Detroit, right. uh, Farmington area, and we live in a very diverse community. We have a, we have one of the biggest Indian populations here. We've got a big Muslim community, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, my kids are white, they're over here, you know, but uh, I, I bet you this issue happens in there. We think about this all the time too, where it's like, my son, most my my son's classes is Indian. And right. I know the, the books that they come home are always little right. white kids reading so i'm sure that this isn't just uh in the african-american community this could be in other things too so just kind of imagining why certain books show up where they do um it's mm-hmm. interesting so very interesting well it, this is awesome so i mean i'm very glad we, we we got a chance to talk so where can people like dive into the world support do whatever how, how do you guys where, where do you want uh, people to go they can go to one of two places. I have an author site, which is Allison at AllisonBueller.com. You can remember Ferris Bueller. Bueller, Bueller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's easy. Allison at AllisonBueller.com or my nonprofit, which is, this is, we did the Helping Hands project as this project this year. Every year we, in November, we pick something in the community to raise money for. And so we kind of piggybacked on this and that's the homesteadeducationcenter.org. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Allison, I appreciate you taking time out of your day here to talk about this. This is an amazing project. Uh, you know, you, you, we all learned something today. So that's, that's always a big benefit to you. It, it, amazing, amazing stuff here. And I wish you nothing but success. And I look forward to other Kickstarters. And I'd love to be the first one to hear about whatever you're working on next because right. really cool stuff going on here. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks, Allison. All right. I told you that was an amazing conversation. Um, how about that? I, I have never thought about doing matching funds like that. Um, but it's something that, man, if you're working on a project that has a little bit of a, a local touch to it, 
great way to not have to spend money on Facebook ads and that sort of stuff. So kudos to Allison for coming up with that idea. And again, hopefully all of you guys uh, will check it out and try it and let me know how, how it's working for you. Um, all right, song we're listening to is a song called Lucky. Uh, probably one of my favorite things I've ever worked on, wrote, co-wrote, whatever it is. Um, yeah, listen to the lyrics. Lyrics are very meaningful at this time of year, and um, all right, I hope you guys all enjoy it. So again, remember, if you are over on iTunes, make sure you're a subscriber, leave us a review, and tell a friend or a family. All right, talk to you all later, and I'll see you next week. Wow.